Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott is alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Hey, Sean. Nice to be here today. Is it? Is it's great. Uh, <laughs> we're recording in my house, so it sounds different. Yeah, a little different ambiance for this one. Your place uh, a little bigger than my place. A little bit, but uh, you know, whatever. We'll we'll make do. You we'll know, we'll make do. Uh, Canada Day weekend just over. Uh, hope yeah, everyone had a nice Canada Day. Happy Fourth of July to our American friends. Uh, if you're listening to this today, we release it Fourth of July. So hope you're out there. Uh, Eating hot dogs and blowing stuff up, or <laughs> I don't, I don't, On my the other podcast that I do, the history podcast, I had my friend Paul Cahan on, who lives in Philadelphia, and we released that episode today as well. And he was on his way with his kids to his uh, brother's house to eat terrible food and blow stuff up. That's really what the, the whole holiday is about. Hell yeah! So uh, so happy Independence Day to our friends down in the United States. Hope you have a fun and safe day down there. But we are here to talk about curling, Scott, of course. Yeah, and you'd think maybe 4th of July, hey, we're going to hit you up with some in-depth analysis of American curling, but no, that's not the case. <laughs> no, we tried that once, <laughs> and uh, Rich Rowan's uh, team um, pointed out that or maybe it was Rich himself who pointed out that we were bad at it. We're, yeah, not the guys for that. So instead, we've got some ideas for... See, because they even got that wrong. It was Persinger. her. Uh, but Rich Rowan was on the team. And I think Rich pointed out that we made some mistakes. I think you're right. I uh, think but anyway, you're right. Uh, so what we got today, we're going to go through... Last week, we talked, of course, about some of the rule changes that we might want to see that we think could improve the sport. And one of the things we talked about a lot was the spectator experience and... So today we're going to talk about ways that we think the sport could improve from a spectator perspective, both in terms of improving the events that we all watch, just in general, but also things that will improve the in-person curling experience, which I think is one of the weaker in-person experiences, if I were to be honest, in, in terms of sporting events that you can go to. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of sporting events that you can go to, especially if you're in a place that has an arena big enough that would host a curling event. There's probably a lot of other things you can go to, and I honestly think that curling is one of the weaker ones. So we have some ideas for how to improve that in-person experience. Whoa, starting with fire here, Sean. Ooh. I, I just don't think it's as good in person as other things. And that's fair. There's a lot of good things about it, but we think we've got some ideas to make it better. So. Yeah, so let's first, though, start off with the experience the, the events in their totality, because we talked a lot over the course of the winter this season about some of the weaknesses that we thought in some of the events, these, these big events that we watch. And let's start with the one that really stands out to me, and that is the Olympics not having a page. Yeah. I, I really think that the page playoff needs to be a universal thing in international currently if the grand slams don't want to use it i get that that's fine but in international events i really think the page needs to be universal yeah it's a real shame to see the biggest event that everyone works four years for suddenly have different rules than the world championships that have come before uh than everything so 
You're right. I, I do think a page is necessary uh, if you're going to keep the format the way it is with the 10 teams. Uh, and and because like you'll end up seeing some crazy results like we saw, which in a way is good, right? It's, a, uh-huh. it's good for teams to have a chance that might not otherwise. But, I mean, everyone's good who's at the Olympics, so whatever. But you might see this fluke one game oh man, the, this crazy result happened. And then all of a sudden, the four years of work that you put in are at the door because of one game that you stumbled. Yeah, and as we saw during, maybe, we'll talk about the World Championships as an offshoot of this, but you can see it sometimes maybe during a Scotties or a Briar where a team could go through the round robin in the old format, 10-1, maybe 11-0. and 0. There should be a reward for that. That's more than just playing a team that went six and five or seven and four, right? I think there there sh- there should be something there. Now you could make the argument that the six team playoff at the World Championship addressed that, but we have our own issues with that as well. Mm-hmm. So I I really like the idea that there is a reward there that you have that, and even say the Olympic Trials, the Canadian Olympic Trials. There are only three teams that make the playoffs there, but there's still a reward for finishing first. There's a carrot that you you finish first, you're in that final right away. That's right. And and like I say, I mean, uh, the biggest pressure, and we heard this from the announcers, we heard it from the athletes who have competed, the biggest pressure game at the Olympics is that semifinal game. Because yeah. that determines whether or not you get a medal, which seems to me... Like it shouldn't work that way. That this one game is the only thing that decides if you get a medal, uh, if you're guaranteed a medal or not, right? It should it should be the sort of uh, the culmination of the week. And if you've had a good week and you finished in those top two positions, uh, then you're guaranteed to have a, a chance for a medal, and at least one of you is going to get a medal. Yeah, and the thing too is that if we never had a page playoff, then fine. Right. If everything else was no page, then we probably wouldn't even care or talk about it. Right. But everything else is a page. Yeah. So yeah. in curling for sure. Like we're seeing a soccer going on now, and yeah, yeah, it's knockout stage. It's one game and you're out, and uh, you know you can you can tell uh, tell it to the the team that played Russia yesterday, and right. boy, they feel sad, right? Yeah. So so uh, it's it's one of these things that happens in other sports. But we've come up with what you and I think are is a good solution in curling. Yeah. And so why don't we just keep doing it at the biggest profile event? Yeah, exactly. So the offshoot of this that we talked about during the World Championship was get rid of six teams in the playoffs of the World Championship. Yeah, yeah. We don't need six teams. We don't need the NHL. You know, nah. half the teams making the league. We don't need all that. Uh, four seems to work. Even with an expanded field to 12 teams, uh, it's good. There was 13 teams this year, right? I think so. So even if you want to expand it to 13, make it the top four, make the playoffs. If you want to do more games, then maybe do a consolation bracket, uh, if you will, for the next four teams. That, that's an idea where, hey, you've got the ice, you want to use it, fine. But it, it doesn't, it'll affect the seeding of five through eight rather than one through four, and that could affect points for the next year's world championships potentially yeah. something like that if if you're bent on having more games and having more teams play for things that matter right uh the way it goes now i think i think four teams is the right number you don't you don't want the product to be too watered down and i think 
I think that has the possibility of happening. No, I completely agree with you. And yeah, so we just because we saw it in both the men's and the women's, the teams that went six and six made the playoffs. Right. And that's not that's not what you want. What then you want. it's the NHL, right? It's, yeah. It's the NHL. It's the NBA. You know, the eighth seed in the East being under five hundred a few years ago. So like, you don't you don't need it. You don't want it. Yeah. So we we can. I think get rid of that. So what else do we have here in terms of the major events format-wise that we would want to see? So, Sean, we talked a bit at the, at the national events this year about the players were unhappy playing in their pools strictly at the time zone or the time slot that their pool was assigned. So my idea would be to mix up the pools uh, as far as who's on the ice at the same time. Uh, I think this would help... Uh, with broadcast as well, where in some of the pools you get uh, some kind of garbage games. You know, it's all decided because there's three really good teams and five really bad teams. So what I would do is, you know, have a couple games from each pool on the ice at once. It would mean, yes, there would be some back-to-backs, but sometimes the players like that more, right? You uh-huh. don't love those split days. Yep. Uh, the the number of games would would stay the same, but at least... You get to be on the ice with your friends, which, you know. Like, okay, okay, this is something I, I couldn't understand why the players complained about it. Because you always hear them say that when they're out on tour, they don't really talk to the other teams anyway. Like, we heard that repeatedly through the course of the year. Ben Hebert was very open about that at the Continental Cup, that through the course of the season, mm-hmm. you sort of hang out with your own team, you're on tour, you see each other, but you don't really hang out that much at the event. And... At something like a briar, you're going to hang out with them at the patch after you're eliminated or after the final on Sunday night. And and what do I care if the players hang out with each other? What difference does it make to me? Well, what I think, what I think it would do is it would, you know, when you're looking forward in the week, and and you're saying, okay, uh, who's going to be on this game? On a Tuesday night, you know, when, oh, we play Tuesday night at the club, like, I wonder what game we'll be on after. And it's all just garbage. And you know that TSN doesn't have any choice for what match to put on. They've got to put on Jennifer Jones. And, like, oh, we've seen Jennifer Jones play, you know, five games already this week, but they don't have a choice because there's no other good teams. Okay, but they also could have draws where there are no good teams at all. Yeah. Like, that could happen, too. Sure, and put those in the morning. <laughs> For B Mooge, that's, uh, that's not very nice to him. Well, Mooge, you know, he's, he's getting his reps. Oh, man. So, like, I, I don't know. I, the, the complaints about the pools being separate, like, uh, I don't care. Uh, I really don't. It, it honestly made no difference to me as a viewer. And, yeah, if, if Sherry Anderson is upset that she doesn't get to see somebody, like, all right. That's it, nice, but like, it's also a chance for the new players that have not never been there before. They get to interact and be in the same space with these players that are legends of the game in, in cases like Jennifer Jones. And, and so you, maybe you build up a little bit of confidence that way. Uh, you, get, you get a little more exposure. I, it's just something that would be nice. Okay, maybe. As a viewer, I don't think it makes much of a difference. So do you have any thoughts about the, the two-pool two format at all? Uh, I would keep it. I think it worked. I think it was fine. Uh, <laughs> I really don't think people... I, I don't understand why people were so upset about it. Every year, you 
have a situation in which there's going to be bad games, there's going to be bad teams. What I thought was smart about this one is you stack those games early in the week. Mm-hmm. And you build up so the games get more important. And you could feel it throughout the course of the week. And you didn't have a situation where you could just bank wins early and still make the playoffs, which we've seen before at other events. Like, if you win your first seven games, you're 7-0, and you're in the playoffs. That was not the case this time. Mm-hmm. You had to keep winning throughout the week. And I kind of like that, that it, it made the event feel more important as it went. Like, it, it never dropped off, you know? In other events in the past with the old format, Tuesday, Wednesday can be kind of dull, kind of boring. This one, it wasn't. It was sort of a slow build. And almost like you said, so the World Cup is going on. It's almost like that first round was like qualifying, where there's all these teams that get to be in the qualifying that aren't as good as the teams that ultimately make it through. And that's why you do that first. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the the event. So there was a natural build to it which I really liked. And I thought Thursday and Friday at those two events were great. And frankly, better than what Thursdays and Fridays have been at those events in the past. So I liked it. All right. So no touching that. At least give it another chance. I mean, there's, I think there was too much of a rush to just try to get rid of it. Right. And I, I would keep it. Okay. Good enough, then. Okay. Good enough. So uh, what's next on your list there, Sean? So now the stuff that I have left is really the fan experience. Okay. I, I have one more, then, that's a little bit more about okay. about the uh, formats and stuff. And that's about the provincial requirements for oh, the yes. players. Yes, of course. Right? So we've seen a lot in the past couple years, past few years, really, people taking advantage of this one import rule that uh, Curling Canada put into play. A few years back, and you know, we see Team Jennifer Jones, where she lives in uh, Ontario, and they play out of Manitoba. Mm-hmm. And so, I saw on Twitter a picture of Jocelyn Peterman, you know, with the car <laughs> packed up full of uh, full of suitcases, driving to Winnipeg to move there. Right. So, my question—it's more of a question rather than a suggestion—but uh, it's a question of: Does this need to be a thing anymore? And if so. Does it need to change at all? I want to hear your thoughts. So for me, I would say if you're going to have the Briar and the Scotties be the way they are with provincial representatives, then yes, there has to be some sort of requirement that you have to be from that province in Mm -hmm. some format. We can discuss what that format is, but it's important that, yeah, there there has to be. Because, again, that Nunavut spot, which is designed to increase participation in the north, if anybody can just sign up as the Nunavut team, then nobody actually from Nunavut or the Akalit Curling Club is going to actually be able to represent the territory. And the right. same is probably true for Yukon. Maybe not as easy for the Northwest Territories right now because you still have Kerry Galusha and Jamie Cooey there. Mm-hmm. So at least there would be a game to be played. Uh, maybe Thomas Goffin could put up a fight too for the men's UConn spot. But if the idea is to increase participation in the North, then not having a provincial ter- provincial or territorial residency requirement gets away from that. And I do think it's strange, even now with the one import rule, that somebody like Adam Casey, say, who is one of the most East Coast people 
that I've ever <laughs> talked to yeah. had, had, was wearing the Saskatchewan uh, jersey a couple of years ago. So there's this, you know, there's almost a disconnect there. And, I, and, and that one's not weird because he actually did move to Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan yeah. but he is an East Coast kid. Sure. And here he is representing Saskatchewan. So I, I do like that there is something because if you're not going to have it, then it's just the Canada Cup, which is fine. Which is fine, and, but it's a different event. It's a very different event. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about this because I saw on Curling Zone on the forums. I know it's dangerous territory to wade into the forums at always, Curling Zone, always. but uh, this this post uh, kind of got my attention, and it was uh, the poster's Jam Cam, Jam Can, Jam Can, Jam Can. That was a uh, sport, Jam Can. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, it was should out of province athletes pay more money? Uh, and so his suggestion or her suggestion, their suggestion. There you go. We're using the pronouns. Uh, is is to say yes. The, a team can pay extra to play out of a different province and all that money that gets paid goes into the junior program for that province. Uh, they've suggested $4,000 as an entry fee, whereas like it's usually about four hundred right for a team. Uh, so it's 10 times the amount. I say let provinces auction off their Whoa. spots to the highest bidder that wants to go for, for the Briar or okay. the Scotties, they can do this once every five years. Okay. And all the money that they get has to be invested into the junior program for that province. What do you think? That's weird. Uh, I don't think I like that because that would just privilege the teams that are already at the top. So if you're somebody like Chelsea Carey way back when, who's struggling to get out of Manitoba, mm-hmm. if... She's already on tour. She's winning a lot. She has sponsors. I'm sure she could come up with four grand and then just take the spot of New Brunswick. Well, let's like, say no, let's like, say New I, Brunswick, their junior program needs twenty thousand dollars to buy new rocks. Okay, but having somebody just buy that spot feels like it doesn't actually long term help them. But but because, what I'm, the junior what is what message is it say to those junior curlers? It says that we're gonna get you better more money so we can develop this stuff. And then maybe in the, the future we don't won't have won't have to do that. No, but they people talk all the time about kids want they, they look up to them and say, This could be me one day. Right. And if I'm a kid in Fredericton, I'm looking up to someone who has purchased my province's spot and say one day I can be the person who gets that check in the mail and goes to the bank and cashes it. That's the dream. <laughs> like, that's what I want. Which is like, why, Sean, this is why I'm saying it's got to happen once every five years, maximum. It's at the discretion of the province whether they want to do it or not. They don't have to do it. All that money has to go into the junior program. Let's say the junior program is fully funded based on active participation at clubs. Okay, we don't need any extra money for the junior program. Why were we going to auction our spots off? Okay, but that doesn't then actually solve the provincial representation problem, then, because we, we still have teams who are being formed across provincial lines. So the idea of auctioning it off would say to a team that maybe has two people in one province, two people in another province, that you can do it. You but, could. But if provinces, if you're saying it's once every five years, it doesn't actually resolve the issue of residency. Uh, not necessarily, no. I, I would say that it has to be a team that's participating or like has participated or is planning to participate in their province's playdowns. So the residency rules still apply for 
a team from Alberta, and let's say you know their player got sick and they got knocked out in the challenge round before getting to provincials. Okay. And yeah, okay. in your example, New Brunswick is saying is saying, oh my god, uh, yeah, we don't have any money for the junior program this year. Anybody willing to give us twenty thousand dollars can go to the Briar for for our province. I mean, that's crazy. Like, it just sounds so crazy. And Why? It, it benefits both sides. No, it doesn't. Also... How not? Also, New Brunswick every year has people who want to play in a briar, right? James Grattan goes a lot. Yeah. So what do you say to James Grattan? You've been 20 times. Like, Win it. Get out? Like, well, here, here's so the thing. If you're saying it's just up for auction. And then also, it takes so <clears throat> much away from the Purple Heart and winning a province. It completely eliminates that fine then, thing as then an accomplishment instead of you get the automatic bid you buy entry into our provinces play down if I you think you're better i sean i think I it benefits like everybody right the junior program wins by getting money the players who have not succeeded at their province uh are able to get money or, or give money to get a spot to go to nationals or have the chance to go to nationals i don't really but, see who's losing no then it's the canada cup then we should just play the Canada Cup. You're 100% wrong. It's, it's not the Canada Cup. It because is, because it's just going to be the best teams who are buying up all the other spots. You think all these teams have thousands and thousands of dollars to just throw around? I think if you're saying that you were making it a 10-time more entry fee to play in another province's I say I say make it an yes. I, I say I make do it. Think they have that much money to do that, Sean. I say make it an auction and have the price be set by the no, association. Buying, no, but then you're buying a spot into the. If it's an auction, then it's buying a spot into the Briar, which I really don't like that. We'll try buying a spot into that province's playdowns. Okay, then it's not going to be $20,000. Depends on the province, right? In Alberta, you think... Uh, no, it's not going to be $20,000. But they're not going to sell it's, their it's, spot. It's, no, but it's also not going to be $20,000 to get into the playdowns. Anybody can set whatever price they want. You don't have to do it. It's not. It's not saying that. Hey, every province yeah. put up a it, it, no. A I spot. think no. I think this gets way into the weeds. It doesn't resolve the actual residency problem that we have at all. I, I it doesn't resolve the core issue. You're just creating this scheme that that if a team that doesn't have players, maybe okay, a team doesn't have players from there, and they do they do this thing. Who knows? But then as you're saying it's optional every year. They don't know. So a team's not actually going to form around this idea that they could just buy into a, some province's playdown. Right. If you're saying it's at the discretion of that province to do it. Because if you don't know that the province is going to do that, you're not going to form that team. I think what is a much more reasonable solution to the residency problem is make the four people who are on the team be members, active members of the club. So that's it. So Sean, right now though, they don't have time to be active members of any club. The players on tour, right? No, they're on okay, tour no, all the time. Yes, they're on tour all the time, but they all practice. They all have to practice somewhere. Like it, it, it seems to me that that's a much easier way to do it than to have this weird import. The import rule, it, it just seems so weird to me. Uh, and it, again, it gets away from the actual point of you're representing this province. If we want people to actually represent the province, then no import rule. You have to be a member and you have to curl in that province. Okay, so that is a bit draconian, I'd say, because 
you have situations like in Jennifer Jones situation where her husband lives somewhere else, right? Your, your spouse lives somewhere else. So what are you supposed to just like live in different cities no, for the whole year? No, Jennifer Jones should curl out of Ontario now, but they've formed that's a team that should happen. That's their team, you know, and, and that's their business. Like, they, okay. But so, so you can't, you can't tell me on one hand that teams don't have so much money to pay into an entry fee and yet it's a business so therefore they have to do this and live across provincial lines Listen, you can't Sean, have it both ways i'm saying that the the teams that play on tour tend to be tend to have enough money to live right but i i wouldn't argue that they're millionaires and no, can throw not. around fifty thousand dollars here and there just to yeah, get in to, it started at four thousand how are we up to fifty thousand dollars the initial thing you said was four thousand dollars i'm putting myself then it got to twenty thousand dollars and now you're at fifty thousand dollars <laughs> like, what is happening i'm putting myself in the spot of an association right and i know my team is not going to win the national championship uh-huh. this year Let's say I want to build a grassroots program, but I don't have enough members to do it. I don't have enough money to do it. I would ask for a certain amount of money for one year to give my province's spot away or a spot in my province's playdowns to a team that is definitely going to beat all of them. I'm thinking about Prince Edward Island. Uh-huh. And, and say, okay, you still have to earn it out of our province, but we need money for the junior program, so... What are you willing to pay and what I'm willing to take? And if the numbers line up, I say, why not? Okay, but then it's, then it's, it's a professional sport. And it, it already is a professional not, sport. No, but it's, it's, it's even more so. Like, at least with the way it is now, the jerseys mean a little something that you actually are representing that place. Yes, it's but not, you just talked just about... Some mercenary who's coming in. You just talked about Adam Casey, who's represented three different provinces. Yeah, but he's lived in each of those places, at least. Oh, big deal. Oh, wow. I looked and saw the old uh, Saskatchewan River out my window so I can call myself Saskatchewan or whatever. Yeah, that's better than... You live there and you're still on the road for, you know, eight months a year doing bond spiels everywhere. So... You live there. Okay, you so have let's a house have the Canada there. Cup. Let's just make it the Canada Cup then. No, that's not what I'm saying, Sean. I, and no, if you're saying that the pro- the provincial designations don't matter, that's exactly what you're saying. That the provinces and who represents the provinces, who cares if they live there, it makes no difference. Then we should just have the best teams. Then it's the Canada Cup. That's exactly what you're saying. That the provincial designations don't matter. No, Sean, I'm saying I, I still like the provinces. You just don't care if the people who are playing for that province are actually from that province. In a way, and have yeah. have anything to do with it. But I'm not saying every year that Nova Scotia can auction off their, their spot or a spot, right? It can't be every year. So you do it once every five years if necessary. I, it's... It's like not that big a deal. It's I, I don't okay. I don't like it. We're not going to agree on this. Oh boy. Uh, um, so let's move on. So let's uh, tell tell so me what you on. guys like out so, there. Yeah. So let us know what you all think uh, about this. And again, that idea point. was uh, jam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jam can jam and can uh, and oh seventy five thousand dollars for entry <laughs> into the. It's got to be a hundred. Well, there was people in the comments that said a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. So. Nobody has a hundred thousand dollars to put in. Right. None of these teams have $100,000 to put in. Uh, that's not possible. But anyway, so let's move on. Let's talk about fan experience here and what can make the fan experience better. I said off the top of the show, I think curling is a sneaky 
bad live event sport. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it really maximizes the potential that it has as an in-person experience. So there's a few things that I think are really important to this. One is the venues. Curling Canada seems to have this fetish with NHL arenas. Like they like, especially the Briar. I don't think they really ever put the Scotties in NHL arenas, with no. the exception of when it's in Winnipeg. But they love having Briars at the Saddle Dome and the uh, whatever the new one in Edmonton is called. I don't think they've played one there yet. Rexall? But they used to go to Rexall. That was the old one. Does the new one still call it Rexall? Uh, but so. th they used to play in Rexall a lot too. Uh, we've seen the the trials whenever there's been a trial since they've instituted it's been in a, an NHL arena they love NHL arenas but NHL arenas are too big for curling in my opinion I, I don't think that it lends itself to any atmosphere whatsoever we saw that during the trials I thought this year where you had good crowds of five six seven thousand people for weekday draws and yet you're in an NHL arena that can hold 19,000 people so it feels like it's a very mm. light crowd. You can see a lot of empty space. The sound sort of just goes up into the ether, into nothing. Whereas if you have an event that will attract 8,000 people on a Wednesday night and you have it in a building that holds 8,000 people, mm -hmm. it's going to be a much better event. And you see that whenever the Briar is in Saskatoon or Regina because those buildings are smaller buildings. And it works in those settings. So... I would have it in smaller arenas. I think it's better to have a place full, a smaller place full, even if you're going to reduce the total number of tickets sold, than to have it in a bigger arena that's going to be three-quarters empty most of the time. Uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying, and you're right. Those weekday draws during the trials were quiet. But good but good crowds in terms of the still number. Not, still like big crowds, yeah. yeah. And, and we even saw at the trials... The upper level was never full, rarely open. Yeah. So they're they're reducing the number of seats that they're selling anyway. So I don't understand why it was in such a big a big venue. You're right. The counter to that would be when you do for the Briar sell out the the Rexall Center in Edmonton, you know, for the finals, and you get a Kevin Martin against Glenn Howard and the place is going crazy, that's pretty cool. Okay, but I, from a fan perspective, curling is very much not hockey, right? Hockey being up high can be good. You can see the player movement, all this, right? Because the puck, yeah, the puck's important, but mm -hmm. you, you don't necessarily need to see the puck in order to, to enjoy a hockey game. Curling is a little more subtle, right? And where we were sitting for the finals, we were up in that 300 level, you can't really see all that much, especially if you're on the side. We sat behind, so you can see the curl a little bit. Yeah. But you, you don't really get to see all that much. So in a smaller arena for the fans, you you can see more of what's going on and get a sense of it, especially on those fine touch shots where you you know they, they talk all the time about, oh, you just got to move it an inch or two. Yeah. If you're up in that third level, you can't really see them move it that inch or two. Maybe not. Yeah, you're right. So... So contrast what we experienced at the trials with what we experienced in London at the Continental Cup yeah. in an arena that sat maybe 1,500 people. Yes. I uh, liked it more. I could be wrong in, on those numbers, but it was small. It was really small. I would yeah. say 1,500 is probably a good, 
guess. It was a Junior A arena. Yeah. So not big at all. And to be fair, I had a very different seat than anyone else because I was on the media bench and we were up high. So Mm -hmm. it was all scaffolding up high behind the sheets. So the view from there was great. But what was really good about that arena was that it was full. And even when the the they had the University of Western Ontario, and I'm not calling it Western University, despite what they tell me to do, <laughs> uh, playing against, I believe it was Fanshawe College. Fanshawe, yeah. Those games, I mean, people were cheering and paying attention to that. When people made shots, it got loud, even though it's not a big crowd. It, it was loud because it was full, and there was an energy in the building that wasn't there for the trials. That The energy sort of just dissipates when it's that empty. So I kind of liked... The setup in London, I think it's a much better way to go. Financially, I don't know what the ramifications are that in terms of renting a building versus ticket sales and all that kind of stuff. But for the fan experience, I think the smaller venues make it a lot more fun. Yeah, okay. I I hear you there. And the counter is, yeah, we want to sell as many tickets as possible. Right. Which, so which you can't do. You can't make as much money. No. So another thing with the fan experience that if we were to contrast London... And what happened here in Ottawa, and this is something that is another point that I had, is mm-hmm. I think it's very, very important that the patch be attached to the venue where you're playing. Yeah. Shuttle buses don't work. They're not a good idea, especially in a winter sport where you got to line up outside and wait for the shuttle bus. And if it's a venue where you need a shuttle bus, in all likelihood, it's an event that people are driving their cars to. Right. So rather than sit or wait for a shuttle bus, I'm just going to go home. Where, when it's attached, we saw this in London, I've been there in Regina when mm-hmm. they've it's been attached. In Ottawa, when they had the briar here, it wasn't attached, but literally 30 feet door yeah, to door at, at most. Yeah. And those venues are a lot more fun because more people will go. Uh, you have time to go, too, is another thing. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's not a lot of time between draws for... A lot of these events if you have to wait for a shuttle bus and then go and get in line and eat all that like if you can cut that time down more people are will go it's mm-hmm. a lot more fun so i think it's very important that the patch be attached to the venue yeah big time big time and you're right about the lines because if you're in the shuttle bus you're waiting first you're waiting for the shuttle bus then you're getting on the shuttle bus then you're waiting in line once you get there to buy your food or beer because everyone got there at the same time exactly because everyone gets there right when the when the draw ends i when i was working at the at the trials i like to go over uh you know just at the second end at the start of the second end i would go over to the patch and you know if i wasn't working the rest of the day i might have a beer and and watch the first few ends on the screen and then head back to the arena for the end of the game. So I was sort of missing the crowds, which meant that I got my food and beer in, you know, five minutes. Which is good. Which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, so I think that's a really important part of the fan experience because the curling itself is good, but so much of what the curling is about is happens at that patch yeah like it's 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 so central to the experience now that even if you don't drink like sure it's hanging out with your curling friends right? yeah and and that and you can see players there both in a formal setting when they're on stage doing the q a's but also informally that they'll just walk around and hang out yeah, yeah. and it's that's sort of where 
to me, curling becomes more of the experience of it. It's the stuff that goes around it. Mm-hmm. And if that is separated, physically separated from where the event is, really takes something away from it. The, yeah. I think the worst example of this was in um, Kitchener. Not Kitchener, excuse me. Um, the place that's between here and Toronto. Kingston. In Kingston. <laughs> it's new to start with a K. Um, <laughs> the, the, in Kingston, where it was really, really removed from the K-Rock Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That is as dead as a patch as I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really bad, and I thought it just took away from the event. Yeah, it's tough. And, and I know the, the people at Curling Canada that put these events on, that's their preference, right? They would rather have the venue attached yeah. so that, that it would be easier. It's easier to facilitate uh, volunteers. It's easier to have your staff not be split between two sites you know uh, shuttle buses they're not cheap and they're not they're not easy you know for anyone yeah so i know that's the preference and that's what we're all striving for but you know unfortunately in certain cases it's it's not possible but you know i agree that it helps the overall very much very much so what else you got in terms of fan experience uh i got radios in mind sean yeah i know you're a radio guy big time and when I went to the Olympics in Vancouver, they had this really cool radio setup where right now for all the events, you can buy a radio and you tune it and you get the TSN frequency. So you can basically watch the game as if, you know, you're watching on TV with uh, Vic and Russ and, and Cheryl in your ear. Yes. Mudrick sometimes too. But uh, And Kath. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't forget Kath. Don't forget Kath. No. So... Uh, when I went to in Vancouver, though, uh, it was a little different. It was a, still a single frequency radio, but there was sort of three people up behind all the stand, all the fans, sort of giving a NFL red zone style breakdown of what was happening on the ice. So, you know, they'd say, "Oh, if you look over on sheet B, uh, Sweden is playing an interesting little draw here to try and manufacture some extra points," and it was really good for people that I. I think it was really good for people that didn't know much about curling because it helped to sort of guide their uh, experience. Mm-hmm. It was good for me because I got to follow, you know, what was happening on all the sheets rather than just focusing in on one, which really tends to happen when you're, when you have the TSN feed you're in your ear, you're watching that game because it's also on the screen. Yeah. So it's the overheads that you're seeing is from that game too. And if you want to watch a different one, it's best to just not have it. Yeah. So I like that. And when I told you about this, you had an even bigger and better idea. Yeah, so I've, I've, I've thought about this. I'm giving this away for free, whoever wants to do it. Wow. Giving this away for free, because I don't know how I'd actually implement this, but I think somebody should, because it would make the live experience so much better. Because one of the things that makes curling such a good TV sport is that the players are mic'd, mm-hmm. and you can hear what they're thinking. Yes. Right. It's it's one of the things. Even the the CFL has started doing this now, where they're having games where they're not having announcers, and all you're hearing is actually there might be announcers. I can't remember, but there you can hear live the communications between the coaches and the player. So whoever's got the headset on, so usually obviously the quarterback on mm-hmm. offense and whoever it is on defense, usually a linebacker, that you can hear it. Cool. Uh, for select games that they're doing this. Jason Moss, I remember when they introduced it, just refused to speak the whole, the whole time when he was the coach of the, the Eskimos. But anyway, that's what makes it so cool because you have access to the players. You know what they're thinking in mm-hmm. the moment, right? So that's what makes it so good. So 
what I would do is I would have a radio that you could buy, but instead of one or two feeds, there are 10 feeds mm-hmm. on it. So most events, there are four sheets. So what you would have is eight feeds that correspond to the eight teams on the ice. So feed one is red rocks, sheet A, and yellow rocks, sheet A is two, and so on and so forth. So that you have access to all the players based on what game you want to watch. So if there's a really big moment on sheet A and they're having a discussion about what to do, you just flip over to whichever team is going to throw and you can hear that discussion and so on and so forth across the sheets. Mm -hmm. So you have those eight feeds. The ninth feed is the TSN feed. The tenth feed is, as you're suggesting, someone who can almost narrate the whole draw to you like sort of what kathy goche does for tsn yeah essentially comes in and Uh, says hey and this is what we're doing there so that's what i would do because one of the things that i think is really bad about the in-person curling experience is that even if you have a radio as you said you're going to be focused a lot on what that tv game is Mm -hmm. and then if that tv game is say a commercial or they're just running it up and down and next door there's a really complicated interesting end where they're having a discussion, maybe there's a timeout, you don't really know what they're thinking. You can Mm -hmm. maybe look at angles yourself and try and map it out, but you want to hear what they're saying because that's what makes the sport so much fun. Mm -hmm. And that creates a draw that makes it more appealing than watching on TV where you're on one sheet. Right. Because you can hear the players, it's great. But if I could do that, if I could replicate the experience of having access to the players in the arena so that I can have the same experience in terms of understanding their perspective that i get at home that makes it more appealing for me to go and to watch in person sure sure i i really like this idea sean uh a caveat i might throw in is rather than one feed per team just one feed per sheet because there are times when you're playing that you don't want the mics to be picking up what you're saying and usually that's when the other team's throwing when you're saying oh you know uh uh, boy, it looked like you were dumping it a bit, or you know, there's just some sometimes that it's not necessary for me to be listening to, I don't know, Jocelyn Peterman and Lane Peters talk about their, uh, I don't know, the the last shot or whatever. No, you're right. right. So, so I would also make it that, because right now, uh, it depends on where you are in the draw, but maybe you just have the back ends mic'd on those non TV games. Maybe you don't need the front end. Or, but everyone is mic'd all the time. Yeah, so. So, but maybe the access to it would only be this. Because uh, the problem with what you're saying, I understand... Is you need an engineer you to, need someone to do this, turn it back. To turn it back and forth. Okay. Uh, and so that would be a problem. So if you don't want to have to have somebody monitoring the sheet, monitoring the feeds, you would have to have it like that. Because, yes, you're right. The problem would be that when if I'm listening to the team that's not throwing, if I just have them in my ear, mm-hmm. that, yeah, the back end say it's at one end talking the front is at the other end they're talking uh, and not about the game no and they're just talking over each other yeah, yeah. E- even if it's just like oh the other team's throwing so at one end caitlin laws and jennifer jones are talking about the shot and on the way back don McEwen and jill officer are talking about the sweep right and so then it gets muddled yeah. a bit and it, they and to them they're just talking to each other they, they right but to us it sounds like they're talking right over but the people. idea of having more more access to the players talking, especially yeah. if you're in a bigger venue, like that brings you into the game. Yeah, I just feel as though the 
experience in person has to be better than at home. And right now it's not. And one of the reasons, to me, the main reasons it's not, is that when they're talking, unless it's the TV sheet, you're just sitting there watching people talk. Right. Which is not interesting. Okay. Because if you ever, like at a curling club, for instance, if you're sort of walking along, sort of maybe checking in on a game, if a team is having a conversation, that's when you go to the bar. <laughs> like nobody yeah. wants to just sit there and watch people talk when you can't hear what they're saying. Yeah, it's tough. It's, it's not sure. interesting. So that would be my suggestion on fixing or improving the in-person experience. And I think that's the biggest thing that needs to be done is providing access in the arena. I agree. I agree. And what's so nice about going to these events at smaller arenas, not even 1,500 seaters, but, you know, four, five, 6,000 seat arenas is that you can get, get really close to the ice and you can hear the players talking uh, just because their voices are carrying enough. And so, yeah, if you want to have these bigger arenas and have the, the microphones available to everybody, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I think that's a, it's got to be available to everybody and just yeah, make it so that I'm not bored or that I'm sitting there wondering and or sitting there thinking, wow, if I was at home, I might know what's happening. Right, right. But you know, then you still get the chance to debate with your fellow fans in the stands. Hey, uh, what do you think they're going to do here? Oh, are they throwing that hit or yeah. hit and roll or and what? You know what your friend's going to say because this is what happens in all curling conversations. You're like, oh, it's easy. You do this and this and this. It's an easy shot. Easy. It's I easy. I make it. Yeah. It's easiest thing. Yeah. So that, that's sort of what, yeah, my, my, one of my big issues in, in that. So in terms of fan experience, that's something I would really push for if I was curling Canada. Cool. Or USA Curling I, or the World Curling Federation. Right. The Grand Slams even. I got to push for that. The Grand Slams might get complicated because of all the languages that are being spoken out on the ice. But that's fun. Like and you're just hearing them. If you, hey, if you understand Japanese, sure, good on you. <laughs> Go nuts then, and yeah. and listen yeah. to it. I mean, what's the difference between that and the TV one? Like when they play when, they, when Team Canada on TSN when they play Japan or China. You're right. I, yeah. Nobody knows. It's it's only when they play a team that is speaking French. Yes. That you have Kathy Gauthier who comes on. It's like oh, here's what they're saying. Like <laughs> I really don't like that. I, I just like. Listening in Yeah, French. but that's because you can understand the French. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, you're right. We do have fans that go to the games that can understand all languages. So Yeah, exactly. It would just, that was me talking from my perspective right. as an ignorant English and French-speaking Canadian. Yeah, I, but again, if, if there is that 10th channel on the radio, then those narrators perhaps have access to a translator or maybe it's people who know the languages of the teams who are there and then they could provide that for you. So could be. Yeah. yeah. So again, I mean, we've seen it in other sports and in all sports really that it's hard to get people into the arenas. So you have to draw people in. And I think mm -hmm. this would be a major draw. Right. Right. So that's my biggest thing in terms of fan experience. You have anything else left on your list there, Sean? No, that's, I saved the biggest one for the last one for me. That's cool. the, to me the biggest thing. All right. Well, uh, lastly, then I'll just touch on like in stadium entertainment. Uh -huh. uh, I think Stu. it's. Stu. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. No, no, no. I mean, one of the cool things about the Continental Cup, you know, is that uh, they have Mr. Vegas and Elvis come out, and I, it's fun. It's kitschy, but it's fun. Uh, at the trials, we had uh, music being played before yep. before the games, like live bands and stuff, and I thought it was cool. I thought it was. 
a way to add some sort of atmosphere that wasn't just, you know, Katy Perry being piped in or whatever. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and I like what Curling Canada does for that. And I also like what they do at the patch, bringing in uh, different bands and stuff to get people going. I know everybody, uh, all these curling fans love dancing. <laughs> uh, I, I don't particularly go for it, but it's just because I'm not good. So, you know, I think uh, the entertainment is important too. And I, I think they're doing a pretty good job from my perspective, you know, uh, on bringing in what they bring in. Yeah. One of the challenges that is in person when you have a normal draw, so not playoffs, basically, mm-hmm. that once the games start, you can't do anything else. Right. Because even if one game, the TV game is a commercial, there's three other games that are probably happening. So mm-hmm. it's very rare that all four games are not in action. Sometimes it happens at the fifth end break. Right. Not that often, though. And when they do have been all at the fifth end break, they will put music on. Yeah. And and try and make it so. So, yeah, it's really the before game that you have to do uh, or have to try and create that mm. atmosphere. And I, you're right. I think they do a pretty good job. I think they struggle in the playoffs between ends. Mm-hmm. I think that could be better, what they're trying to accomplish there. I don't think they use slider as effectively as they probably could. And I think they might rely too much on Stu in between the ends. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean. And and uh, the playoffs, they maybe need to you know take a cue from from our our bud uh, Zick Zwick Zick, yeah, down in New Hampshire. Uh, yeah. They do awesome promotions between uh, between innings in baseball, uh, minor league baseball especially. So yeah. You know, we could see those things. I really like the uh, the young stars, the junior players that get to come in. They get to meet the teams, you know, get a, a shirt and all that. And it's, like, kind of a cool experience for all of them, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I like all that stuff. Yeah. And Or even and, just, yeah, or, like, you bring out the kids, have a draw to the button in between on the other sheet <clears throat> and just do that and something like that. They have, like, the, the inner tube things that they yeah that's pretty fun which is can be kind of fun <laughs> but i mean get rid of the get rid of the hug cam please they introduced that this year the hug cam that they were even running during the game sometime like just get rid of that that's we don't need it it's not necessary well sean and, they never put the camera on us so we could give each other a I hug know, sad, oh, sad too bad uh but also yeah if you're gonna have somebody run these promotions too uh, if you've never been to a Curling Canada event, when we say Stu, I honestly don't know Stu's last name, to be honest. But Stu is basically the MC for all Curling Canada things. He comes out before the games, introduces the teams, he's at the patch, he does the, the Q&As for the up close and all those things. Uh, so Stu is a very strong presence at a lot of Curling Canada events. And I think he's okay at what he does. I, I, I don't have any problem with Stu. But I don't think Stu's strength is in arena, in between ends promotions. After having seen it at however many playoff games now, I, don't, I just don't think that's his strength. So if you had somebody more like Zick, mm. who's going to run around and kind of be zany and just get people going, that's what would, would work a little bit. Cool. And yeah, maybe uh, maybe that'll be in the works. Maybe not. But I, hey, Zick, I don't. Zick is off in the winter. Oh. He's a full-time employee of the Fisher Cats. He sure is. So maybe they could get him up. For <laughs> I mean, I believe in reading an article about him. I believe he grew up in San Diego. So maybe not a curling aficionado, but but you know his his energy's there. So yeah. So so those are some ways that I think that the in-game or in-person curling experience 
could be improved. And if you've never been to a curling event, I would encourage you to go because there are so so many different things going on. The first time you go, if you're going to an event that has four sheets going on, it can be almost overwhelming mm -hmm. and hard to keep track of the action and what's going on. But the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. And it can be a lot of fun. I just think there are some significant ways in which it can be improved. Now, just before I forget, yeah. have you ever been to the Pinty's Pub at a I've Grand never Slam been, event? I've never been to a Grand Slam event. I've only ever been to a, a Curling Canada event. I, I, I really had fun going into the Pinty's Pub. And you get an awesome view right behind the sheets. You know, the chicken wings, they sell out really fast. <laughs> but, uh, well, sell out. They're free. But it just boom, boom, boom. That's because they're high-quality uh, product. They sure they sure are, Sean. And I guess the, where I was at the event, they didn't have big enough ovens to make too many. So, <laughs> But it, it's, any, it's really fun. You get a cool perspective on the ice. Uh, you can talk to other fans, meet people. Uh, it's neat. And their arenas that they're in are usually small enough that when you're done being in the in the, in the patch in the pub you can go and just pick a seat along the side and right. you're usually really close and it's pretty cool so the grand slam events are pretty fun to go to in person i think because of the size because they're so small yeah the players are really accessible and and it's a good time yeah so yeah I've, that's the other thing i've heard too is grand slams are really good we'll see what this new world cup thing is like um but that's going to open up possibilities for people who don't mm -hmm. have as much access as we have here in Canada to live events. And regardless of where you live in Canada, too. Like, there's usually an event close, if not every year, every other year, depending on where you are. If you're in sort of southern Canada, yeah. uh, I should say. And our friends in the north don't have as much access. But if you have a chance now in Nebraska, if you live in Omaha, they're having the event there. For instance, where Kevin Cooey's going to play. And uh, Nick Eden announced that he's going to play. Uh, shout out to Megan Edwards for pointing that out to us. Yeah. Uh, weirdest way ever that Cooey announced it, or, or not even announced it. It just came up in their Canadian beef advertisements. <laughs> Very strange that he would just mention that they're going to play in this. But if you're in those places where this World Cup's going to be, you know, they're going to have it, it seems, in places that don't normally get events. So if you get a chance to go out and see it, it it's a lot of fun. Check it out for sure. Yeah. So what we're going to do for next week, we're actually going to piggyback a little bit off our conversation. We talked about how to improve the live experience. We're actually going to go in and we're going to rank the events in terms of the most fun to go to. Because between the two of us, Scott, we've been to pretty much every type of curling event. Well, like you just admitted that you'd never been to a Grand Slam. No, but you have. I just always said between the two of us. Right. So We've been to okay. pretty much everything, okay, right? Fair enough. So... You've been to the Olympics as well. Uh, we've both been to trials, Scotties, Friars, uh, provincials. Like we, we've, we've between the two of us, we've seen pretty much everything mm -hmm. that you can see, with the possible exception of a world championship, maybe. But we've seen it all, with that exception. So we're going to rank the events in terms of what are the most fun to go to, and we're going to rank them from a spectator perspective. So in a quadrennial, what? events would you want to go to so that's we're going to sort of piggyback on this talk that we had today in terms of improving some of the live experiences and we're going to go through and just rank the events great can't wait yeah so that'll be next week when we join you again and if you have not yet please do subscribe to the show apple Podcasts, google play wherever it is you get your podcast you can give us a rating give us a like 
Find us on the Facebook, our Facebook page, Game of Stones Podcast. Twitter is at Game of Stones Pod. You can email us at Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. So until we talk to you again, happy Independence Day. Hope everyone had a good Canada Day too, and we'll talk to you next week. So until then, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern.